Jade. Welcome to What Matters. Hi. Who do we have here today? My name is Kintaro Kagami, and I'm an artist, and I'm a friend of Julio's. Oh, shit. Yeah. I'm here under the impression that this is a document to leave for Julio's child, Blinky. This is a, a narration by Uncle Kentaro. Uncle Kentaro is here. Um, I would also like to let the listeners know that I picked up Julio at 6.15 in the morning and we played nine holes of golf at the beautiful Marine Park Golf Course in Brooklyn. Um, and I let him win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You it, was a good, it was a yeah. good game, no? Yeah, yeah, totally. You're very good. It was a good game. You too, man. It was tied, and then at the end, I had a bad hole, and he took over, and that was it. It was raining. It was raining. I was wearing rental clubs, but... Also, uh, it's important to note that Julio got a stroke a hole, and oh, still yeah, lost. Oh, yeah, by the way, I got a stroke a and hole. And still lost. And still lost. But, so that's important for Blinky to know for the right? future. But I, I defended myself, and... It was it was an honorable match, for it sure. Was honorable match yeah we're here we just had some food at this diner yeah it's out in this is i guess flatbush i don't know canarsie, we're in canarsie park right now canarsie piers yeah that um, is a little shady <laughs> it's kind of nice because we it's during the day and it just stopped raining so it's it's cloudy out there it's beautiful and then you see probably a dozen men in their 50s fishing fishing yeah weirdly they're all the same age <laughs> we went to visit them some of them speak spanish and i spoke to them and kentaro yeah. was like oh i never actually heard you speak spanish yeah it's the first time i heard you speak so you spanish. think i was bluffing or what like i no, you're communicating with them for sure and then we saw these guys at the end of the pier and they had a giant fish yeah it's about 20 30 pounds for sure striped bass yeah that's it, what they said it wasn't cool how they were just like leaving it to die on the sidewalk well yeah what are you gonna do also like i feel if it's your fish or your catch you can do whatever you want because yeah. he is gonna eat it we ask him no? yeah yeah he said he's gonna eat so it so i guess it's gonna go to good use and it looked it looked huge it was yeah. a huge fish yeah it's kind of crazy how much nature there is down here because you don't associate new york city with that much nature but there's tons of birds and fish and i think it's like a nature preserve out down here so a refuge rather and we are in kentaro's car yes my car, Toyota Prius 2004. So we're laughing how people are looking at us and we have the mics and yep. everything <laughs> and they think, what are these guys doing? Yeah, yeah. all these like grumpy fishermen are definitely weirded out Yeah, this out guy by walking us. Without, in front of us with a camel <laughs> jacket and a gray hoodie and sunglasses and he's looking at us like, what are these guys doing? Yeah, it's funny because they're all very sketchy dudes yeah, that yeah, fish yeah. on a pier. And they're looking at us like we're sketchy dudes that record a podcast on a pier. We were joking that this is where back in the days to dump the bodies for the mafia or yeah. something. You know? No, it's Park. true. It it's sounds true. like it. Um, it's true. I heard um, there used to be cars in the golf course at Marine Park where bodies were dumped. Damn. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a good match. And that's actually had... the first lesson for Blinky. Don't borrow money from gangsters. <laughs> <laughs> that's like the one rule. Oh, the number one rule. Number York, one rule. Don't borrow money from gangsters. You'll be fine. Everything else will be fine. Yeah, everything else will After work that, itself out. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, we just had some food and then we came over to the park. I always wanted to record and do this talk show. But I did want it to be uh, a mobile thing. And I was talking to previous guests to the show, Josh Smith, about 
how my childhood was very mobile when mm-hmm. I was I was always moving around and I failed when I was like oh I want to have a, a talk show or podcast but I don't want to have a studio that's kind of mm-hmm. weird to have a studio podcast so you, you have to be on the run you have to go wherever it takes you you have to just take the mic and be like all right we're we're doing doing it here we're gonna record in the studio or in the car like we're doing it now I like that and until right now 2023 we have the technology to do that and have good quality audio so thank you for that apple Tim Cook, <laughs> thank you apple we love you yeah thank you joe rogan thank you uh obama thank you barack obama everybody that did their part for this to happen we appreciate you um the funniest thing is uh when you were like i want to do a podcast about artists and their lives and as blinky would know by the time they're listening to this is your father is very pushy person so he kept asking me and asking me and <laughs> i thought to myself well actually there isn't that much work in the studio right now because they sent some stuff out at least i'll get a round of golf in right so this is sort of our this is your studio kind of for sure this is where this is where it's at right now yeah we're talking about how our is playing games with painting oh yeah for sure and how it's all math basically yeah everything is a game yeah the idea of things being serious is i think pretty restrictive for me i like that about you man you're very playful and yeah yeah you have a good inner child that likes to play games and i love games so we connect over that yeah i get very sad when i don't have a game going yeah yeah well that's a good that we got it going on today and hopefully we'll continue this summer no we can come again yeah bring another artist that play golf Oh, yeah. There is a cabal. I won't drop names, but there is a cabal of golfers yeah, in yeah. the art world. Yeah, um, we need a little a little tournament or something. Huh? Yeah. The funniest thing, too, is by the time Blinky is old, golf is going to be even further out of vogue. because <laughs> Maybe more? Well, they because, just need another Tiger well, Woods It's fucked up to play golf because grass and land and money and water. And That's it's a true. very... Maybe they'll have synthetic or digital golf tournaments or something or you know like metaverse golf they're gonna figure out exactly and you're just playing golf with your friend in the meta oh yeah metaverse that sounds sad that is a little sad because yeah we got to see some animals the animals the uh we got breathe some fresh air yeah we got rained on but it was really nice yeah yeah we were it was raining yeah but it was sort of this like it's april so it's very chill rain like it's not like scary rain um but i was gonna say too the um the thing about golf that's really fun is you can play it till you're 80 years old and i think that's a lot like artwork too is um i think there was i can speak a little bit about julio and our generation it was very strange because suddenly people our age so back then in our 20s there were some artists that were making so much money and i don't think that really happened in our history before people in their 20s just printing money like that and it felt very um i don't know there's a lot of fear of missing out there's a lot of different dynamics came into play not to mention social media and instagram and things like that which i love by the way but i do think it created a very unhealthy atmosphere i don't know i think it has happened before you think so i think picasso is famous for really young his paintings were auctioning for a bunch of money like mm. millions or whatever i don't i don't really i i could be wrong but i i do think that was the case with him and people like him but yeah some of them didn't turn out as good as him like they were so uh speculated upon yeah. that but that's what happened with basquiat and people like that they were 20 and they were already being 
people were so predatory towards them. And that's what happened with this past generation too, that people were making so much money in their 20s and it's just the hyenas are too eager to come kind of thing, which is what and why as artists we need to be more together so that doesn't happen as much. If we are protecting each other instead of competing, I feel that's yeah. more that we need. We just need to cooperate and be willing to form a union in a way to become immune to anything that happens with the money-wise. So yeah. just to be hermetically separated knowing that painting is money but at the same time leaving the outside voices yeah. take over that i feel we we can do that but also you know i guess what i was getting at too was that you know an artist's career is 80 years long yeah and that there was this sort of concentration of people who are hitting it so hard so young um in terms of the marketplace art aside yeah. that it did kind of create this sense of urgency, at least in me, I can speak for myself, that uh, there were all these precocious artists, I guess. And I will say most of them aren't doing as well now. But the important part is, like, I think at one point, especially in your 30s, you realize that this is a very, very long game that is being played. Yeah, it's crazy how now we may be the first generation that lives to 150, right? Oh, yeah, that'd be cool. And right now... Like that's that's very possible. And right now the average is like eighty or something like that. I think with COVID came down to like seventy nine or whatever. But yeah. in our parents when they were our age, it was like sixty five. People predict that we will be living longer lives. That's not even taking into account right now in the art world. Like what mm -hmm. if I don't know, all this old ladies that are like ninety producing work or like Jasper Johns. How old is Jasper Johns? Like a hundred? Oh my gosh, know. yeah. The idea that he was still alive too. He's still like, oh alive. God, this, still he's alive. my dream. Dream, dream guest. So Jasper, when oh, you're yeah. listening, come on the show. I'll come over. We yeah. Can do it what anywhere. if he? What if he's already getting some anti-aging injection from the government that he's like? Oh, that'd be dope. He's already coming back in Yo. aging kind of thing. I'd also say, um, in my when I was hitting my 30s, I started hanging out with like much older artists, artists really? that were in their 70s and 80s. Really? Yeah, yeah. It when? was. I, I mean, five or six years ago, I started. Oh, shit. And it, it was natural, but it was also very fun because they've seen the world change so much in their lifetime. And they were so <clears throat> unbothered by the things that were bothering me, such as the um, the statusiness, the social aspect of the art world all these things they could not care less because they've seen everything come and go and they've had spikes in their careers up and down and there was this sort of um yeah i think when you when you hang out with people like that it's very it's very um relieving it's very um i think you took a lot from them then because i feel you are very a uh, peaceful and calm guy yeah. With regards to your work and how like you're we were talking about how sometimes we're only competing against our old selves mm -hmm. instead of competing against other artists in a way. Yeah. I think that's an important place to get to is you're better than you were yesterday. Right? Yeah. That's I think that's the only thing you can really judge yourself by. Wait, um, let's go back to where were you born? I was born in um funny story. Born in Hakodate, uh, oh. Hokkaido. It's the northern end of uh, uh, Hokkaido. Ah, yeah. I, know, I know Hokkaido because Daisy's aunt is from Hokkaido. Oh, no way. 
and is the north the um, the cold part of Japan? Very cold, yeah. Right. So Very you cold. were born in the cold. Yeah, yeah. Um, my mom was on her way back from America, and her sister and her husband, so my uncle and aunt, were doctors there, and she was very, very pregnant. So she just decided to have me where her sister was. And my dad was like, I don't know, I think it was in Southeast Asia or something. So I came out of, you know, my mother's body in Hakodate, but I was um, registered and raised in Tokyo. Oh, so you were just born up there? Yeah, I was just born a kind of anomaly because it's usually pretty normal, I think, in Japanese cultures for people to be giving birth where their family's from. Yeah, I'm, I'm the only person who's born outside of either Tokyo or Aomori, which is where my mother is from. But oh, um, yeah, it was crazy. just sort of, I think it was, and I talked about this because I'm about the age they were when they had me. Yeah. And they were telling me about this. They were just talking about like, first of all, they hadn't no resources they were just you know two young people working yeah my dad had just finished graduate school so they had you know grad students had even less money back then than they do now and that's probably why i ended up in being born hakodate because that's just where the resources were mainly yeah, a doctor that we knew which was my uncle it's crazy that also past guest of the show josh smith was born in japan Yo, no way yeah that's he cool. was born in japan and also lived or lived there for like a year not not even uh-huh and I was born in California. Huh. And we also, I was born and my parents were talking about, I think they were like 23 and 24. I That's remember. So young. And they had me there. And then we moved to Mexico shortly after. So I, I was born there, but also didn't stay that long. Yeah. S- same as Josh. He just was born in Japan, then left to LA. But you were born in Japan. And then when did you move to America? Um, When I was around four three and a half four. Oh, so you also yeah you were young yeah i was very young um but i grew up in such a kind of a small small community and in I tokyo in, in my family you know we were just a tiny little four-person family living in america my mom you know was learning english as i was as i was also oh wait but the the three years that you spent in tokyo uh-huh do you remember or no oh it was great Um, Yeah, yeah, this is uh, my dad worked at a company and back there in Japan back then, the companies, big ones often had their own towns, their own apartment buildings, their own hospitals. So I grew up in this like community of people that all worked at the same company. And it was Mm -hmm. like incredibly safe. And I remember walking around by myself as a two or three year old going to get groceries and just kind of I was very, very happy there just it was a safe place to be and then suddenly being in america in washington dc in the 80s it wasn't it was the opposite of that it was a very unsafe place Mm -hmm. a very scary place and it was um a very big change and i will never forget that and one of my earliest memories actually speaking of games is uh, in japan there's these terrible roaches they're very big and very flyy they like to fly a lot over there did you see the the movie Mimic? Ooh, um, I think so. That's a great movie. It's a New York movie about roaches. But what are this giant Japanese roaches called? That sounds crazy. Yeah. The um, but the speaking of games, though, my dad will make a game where he'll roll up a newspaper and tell me how many roaches I can kill. Ah, uh, um, squash. Yeah, it's just like yeah, it's like a squishy squash. But yeah. I, it was that was it's one of my fondest memories, honestly, because obviously you associate you know roaches with around children to be some sort of sad thing yeah you know like it's we're so poor there's you know we killed roaches roaches everywhere yeah 
it, my dad turned it into a game and I was very, very good at it. Yeah, we were just talking to one of the guys that work at the golf course about the rat situation <laughs> in, in Manhattan and that there's like a rat czar and yeah. it's all just a joke basically, but the whole thing about we're never going to get rid of the rats the yeah. same way that we're never going to get rid of the roaches, right? Yeah, yeah. And then he was also saying he got very quickly kind of Trumpy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know when Trumpy people are like, I don't care about your politics you can believe in what you want to believe in i don't you care if you're white in. black or blue or purple yeah but i care that you're white you know kind of like it was yeah, just like you start saying the colors when you're talking yeah you're you got very trouble, weird huh? you got very when, when someone's like you know it's, it sounds very defensive when someone's yeah. like i don't know what your political beliefs are it doesn't matter what your political it's like yeah. wait are you are, are yours you whack really, or what yeah, like, do you really what? mean that you don't <laughs> We weren't talking about politics. We're not, nobody talked about it. You started talking about it. <laughs> yeah. That's really good. It is kind of fun to troll sort of old people on the golf course with politics. It's kind of crazy also because so we drove upstate, I think like last year, I remember when, but we were, we were not far from New York, like an hour and a half or something like that. And we were, we stopped at this uh, restaurant and we saw a guy wearing a Blue Lives Matter t-shirt. And mm. I was like, it really takes no time and you already are in conservative country. <laughs> right? I mean, even in New York, so right now, South Brooklyn. Yeah, we're in Copland right now, for sure. That was crazy. Yeah. The funniest thing, too, is like you an artist, you live in New York and you are kind of um, Me? exposed to yeah, well, you was like one. One oh, is okay. one. Is. Um, and you're exposed to, I guess, everybody's kind of a liberal in different shades. Yeah. And you get to the golf course and you're immediately just surrounded by right wing people. Um, it is a it is a conservative game, I guess. Yeah. And I find it funny that you can actually um I found a way to uh soothe them, which is uh, uh for example, Donald Trump being like, you know, Donald Trump, whatever you may think of his political beliefs, the guy sure knows how to make golf courses. And that usually lightens them up because they think that you like <laughs> Donald Trump. Is their go to yeah. like uh icebreaker? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's my go to. <laughs> icebreaker it's just like oh that guy knows golf courses oh, shit. you know yeah I, I was uh we were talking about it because i i became really good at playing golf while i was working at a golf course in texas mm -hmm. like during college I, i would drive to the golf course that was like 30 minutes away from college and i would work there at the golf course and i got i mean it was the craziest thing not only is it texas but also bush is president So like you would get like, oh, like people had like rims in their golf cart. It was kind of like, what? Gross. Spinners. It was crazy. It was really crazy. But so gross. I got to play a lot. So it was kind of fun. Yeah. Do you think actually this is a question for you? So you grew up in uh, the South. Yeah, I guess. Um, and so you were exposed to Republicans yeah. very early on in your life, right? Yeah. And you had to coexist with them yeah. one way or another. Um, did you come up with all sorts of tricks and resources in order to relate to people who I assume you didn't relate to back then? I feel it was like um, I got to walk on their shoes so I know where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day... I don't want that. Yeah. Like I realized like, oh, is this what it is? And like, the, I see why and how they're thinking that, but I don't want that. Yeah. I need a different 
even though I always was like in California, in Mexico or in Arizona or Texas, whatever, I was like, this is cool, but I don't know why I need to live in New York. And then when mm. I got here, I was like, this is exactly what I believe in. Like everybody around here, even though there's here also like there's almost half and half now. Yeah. And But in the South, it's like 98% conservative it's kind of crazy yeah that's gotta be strange because i guess i grew up in dc so it was a lot of democrats and liberals right um, yeah dc must be like 60 40 or something huh? oh no dc is like 98 percent democrat oh it's the opposite yeah yeah um there's uh i guess there's republican enclaves outside of it like in virginia yes yeah, so i moved from japan to dc when i was around four and you just showed up in america and you were like fuck yeah it was terrible the food sucks. Really? I yeah. mean, yeah, I was going to ask you, actually, if you remember your, like, kid meals. Because I, so, yeah, Blinky, my son, and now I have to cook for him. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, like, would it be different if I was, if we were living in Japan, we would be having, like, rice and fish for breakfast and stuff like that. That yeah. is, like, normal over there. But here, I'm like, what do I give him? Like, oh, yeah. cereal? No, that can't be. And it's like, okay, let's give him yogurt or eggs or whatever. But I think about that, like, being Japanese and stuff like that did you or did you also eat Japanese breakfast in America with your parents yeah it was all our little family it was just Japan in our house basically yeah and then outside of the house it was you know fucking tuna casseroles or whatever they yeah call that. even even if I was a kid in in America when I was a baby or in Mexico when I was a kid my family was very American foodish kind of mm. thing. even if there's Mexican influence but it wasn't like the south of Mexico that is super rich in cuisine like I lived in the northwest that is a lot and they would be upset if I say there's no real culture of <laughs> cuisine but it's less is more American influence mm -hmm. than they think you know because it's close to the border. Yeah, sure. the breakfasts are American. The like, dinner's almost American. Lunch changes sometimes. But did you, when you moved here, were you just eating Japanese food? Yeah, it was always Japanese food until I got to school. No American food of any kind? Yeah, very little. Very I mean, little? like... It was cool going to your white friends' houses because they had like craft macaroni and cheese, <laughs> che cheese its you know. They had all these exotic foods. Were you freaked out? I know like a few other Asians, especially Indians, that um, were freaked out by their like white friends coming over because they're like, "Oh, my house smells like." Oh yeah, that was definitely a comment. Was that a thing? Sure. Like that people was a were like, Kentaro's house, whatever. Yeah, it smells yeah? different. I mean, especially when there's like skimono, which is like pickled things. Yeah, yeah. There's sort of this uh, kind of methane ammonia smell yeah and i think uh, a lot of my american friends had a hard time with that smell because it smells like rotting which, which yeah, it yeah. is it's, it's fermentation it's fermentation yeah but yeah um, like kimchi also if you're korean yeah but very quickly in my as people got older everybody was into japanese food so that's true actually it's kind of like yeah every, like I tacos mean, and sushi are kind of like the thing no? yeah currently the dollar is really strong so a lot of people are going to japan right now and everybody's like i love it right you know? yeah that's another cool thing about being japanese is like you're you're an immigrant to america but you're not escaping anything yeah you're not running away from a bad situation and everybody wants to know more about japan you know like it was always this thing that i had that you know anime and um power rangers power rangers it was always there's always like a cultural touchstone and i feel yeah, very yeah. uh miyasaki 
Miyazaki movies, yeah. There's always um, something I can speak to. Yeah,、people. everybody knew what was up. It's、yeah. not as foreign, no? Yeah, and actually, when I think about it, a lot of it was art. A lot of it was cultural products、right? that, that was、um, exported. Yeah, that was. So, when you were a kid in America, do you think that feeling like, oh, they're going to say shut up about my、uh, like, house? Like, how, what do I do? Do you think that is part of what makes you artistic? That, like, little, like, we were, I was talking to someone in the past about how being oppressed is what really gets you to be creative in, in a theory, in、yeah. a theoretical way. Like, some people might say, like, oh, You're supposed to be born being an artist, or some people is like someone was really, when they were a kid, a little oppressed or was forced to watch that kind of thing.、Mm -hmm. Do you think that affected you when you were a kid, being a different kind of person and surrounded by other people? Yeah, I have a very hard time accepting the word oppression because、yeah. I'm a Japanese male. You know? <laughs>、yeah. Like, I'm very, I don't subscribe very privileged. to that language. <laughs> Um, I, I know how to play golf, you know? Yeah. I yeah. went to art school. Yeah. Like these are. Well, we're talking in the golf course that I went to school and I was talking to Josh Smith before this, how my mom had to work for the nice school for me、mm. to go to that school. Yeah. So I, when I was growing up, I grew up with rich friends, but I was the, the teacher's like son. Yeah. So in a way, it's like you're going to a rich school. How is that oppression kind of thing? But I was a little bit of like, wait, why not me? Yeah. And I feel that pushed me to be more creative、mm. in a way. Without that, I would have been like, well, I'm rich already. Like,、yeah. you know? I'll put a little spin on it. It's not oppression. There's definitely yeah, there's displacement no... for me. I、there's、guess. Yeah. You're foreign type vibes. Like you don't fit. Yeah. You don't fit for、yeah. sure. You know,、um, that's definitely. Or you're different. Yeah.、Um, Which is now a good thing as adult artists is good to be different. When、yeah. you're a kid, it's like, I want to be normal. That kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. And I will say, I'm not surprised that Josh is not from America or he, he grew up partially in Japan or whatever. I think displace, early displacement is, is a definite. A key、right? amongst many artists. I know a lot of artists that were military kids. Yeah. A lot of artists that were in the international diplomatic community in one way or another. There's, you know, there's always, I think, you know, refugees. There's, all, there's, I think, being displaced is a pretty、um, common characteristic with artists because you just know there's another way to be, right? Yeah. Like yeah. you're in America right now, but there's another way to live elsewhere. And then that, I think, creates a, a space to be creative. And I believe that,、um, you know, it's not, it's, like, it's not like a requirement to be displaced to be an artist. But I, I do you think, think it's genetic or is it nurture or nature? The being that, an artist part. That makes you an artist. I never thought I would be anything else. But do you think you were born with it? No. I think it's just a decision somebody makes one day. Yeah. That they, that they have, you know, you go, yeah, I'm a little different. Maybe I'm special. And I think that's very important to, to have. And that saying something indirectly, I think most forms of art is an indirect form of communication, becomes a very、um, important way of you communicating with other people. Yeah. Yeah. You were, you were one of those artists that always knew. Oh, for sure. Like you were a kid and you were like, well, that's me. Yeah. That's crazy because I, I did the opposite kind of, well, I did the other route that I was like, oh, I'm going to be a doctor, a scientist. I'm going to like not go to art school. And、uh -huh. then I couldn't, it was like a magnet. I just ended up where、yeah. I was supposed to be. Yeah. But you're always worried where you're supposed to be. You didn't even make the move. No? Yeah. I never even thought twice. I guess I, you know, everybody discourages you because、right? it is a hard life, you know? 
your parents were supportive? Oh, they were supportive in the sense that, um, you know, they they paid for art school, um, <laughs> you know, which I don't think they really wanted to do. In fact, but also it's a lot because we talk about this, how we both are first generation. Oh, yeah. And how most first generation people are being told like, hey, you need to become a lawyer, <laughs> a doctor. Yeah. Maybe one of those computer guys that make <laughs> a lot of money. <laughs> no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of, I feel if I told my mom back then, like, hey, I want to go to art school, she would have been like, no. Yeah. But it was nice that you were like, oh, even though I can see they're reluctant, I'm going to prove them kind of thing. Yeah, I think there was a bit of that. I agree with that. Um, now that I'm older, I can see that. I think is the, it's not like an I'll show you kind of thing, but it, they're definitely, uh, I think a sense of rebellion is pretty important. Um, That's true. I think being bad in some way is pretty important to making work doing something you're not supposed to do like yeah. i'm gonna mix acrylic with oil i'll Fuck show you, you. yeah the, that's true i think that's another thing a lot of artists have in common is that there's a uh, little bit of a punk somewhere inside of them if not right on right on the surface yeah um and it may be silly or whatever but you know i think it's important to have that and to be honest with that yeah you know like it's fun to do bad things and that's okay <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah Were as you... long as you don't borrow money blinky from oh, yeah, gangsters from the do not borrow money from gangsters what were you the kind of kid that was like drawing anime and shit like that uh no actually um, when i was a kid i loved anime because of the drawing in a way mm. like i used to recreate like dragon ball c characters or like i don't know if you remember this anime called ranma oh yeah that's a cool one do you remember ranma yeah yeah it's yeah. amazing yeah ranma was actually pretty ahead of its time i love that show and to do the drawings of that show it made me wow. kind of like wanting to become better at copying in a way yeah and that that that, that tv show which was a manga before yeah, um, really manga. dealt with a lot of gender stuff a lot no yeah a lot of it yeah so for the, everybody out there check it out ranma one half or what is one it half yeah right yeah it's about a a little boy that yeah. falls into a magical lake and comes out a girl and so, it turns out that when he is um, exposed to water he turns into a girl like a hot <laughs> one too like a and he's a hot boy too he's a hot boy yeah. he's a hot boy that turns into a hot girl exactly. if water touches them yeah and then there's animals too oh yeah that Her change into other animals when the water touches them yeah that, no? yeah yeah yeah. there's a lot of gender stuff for sure it's I, so good but um this is actually something i love talking about and i bring it up all the time gender is a gender but also animation like my first kind of realization that i was sexual being yeah is um watching uh who framed roger rabbit Ooh, and jessica, jessica rabbit, rabbit. Exactly. i remember i was a kid I find that to be so that's interesting. That's sequin dress, no? Sequin dress, the red hair, the, yeah, the red yeah. lipstick, all that stuff. But um, I find it that was to like be... a, an attack on every boy in America. That <laughs> that that movie, no? Yeah. Have you have you ever seen Cool World? Uh, I actually haven't finished it. It's, that's it the one with Brad Pitt, movie. right? With Brad Pitt. Yeah. yeah. So what about Roger Rabbit? Uh, Roger Rabbit. I think it's interesting that a sexual becoming, yeah, is an animation. That's true, no? You know? I think, were we the first generation? No, it must I be. I don't know. Maybe the people maybe that grew up in Maybe it's just Jessica Rabbit. Jessica Rabbit's just hot, you know? That's true, but, yeah, or maybe it was in the 40s with, yeah. like, Betty Boop. Was Betty Boop, like... 
somebody's sexual awakening probably if anybody out there who's 80 yeah <laughs> wants to write to the show yeah. let me know if that's true dm me it's but i do remember so i guess you can say for sexual deviancy is like pretty important to my personality and how i talk but one of the earliest memories i have when it comes to the the power of images yeah is um so I'm from Japan, so I'll go to Japan every summer, and I'll go to school there. And when I was around 11 or 12, I'll go to Japan, and I'll fill an entire suitcase with um, hentai pornography. Damn. So this is back before the internet was really working that good. Yeah. For you or for selling? So, well, for both, honestly. <laughs> um, but um, the there was, people were watching pornography on VHS at this point. Yeah. Or uh, Playboy and those kind of magazines. I remember when I was a kid, they used to sell floppy disks. With yes, porn. yes, that was a thing. Right? Um, but anywho, I'll bring back an entire suitcase. So, there's, you know, it was like 70 kilos, I think, was like the maximum back then on a 747. Damn, I can't remember But what was dope that. is my dad was, uh, we we're technically diplomats. Damn. So they can't check your suitcase. They can't say no to you for any reason. You have this like special status. Damn. So I had no fear in doing this. And I would buy, you know, 70 kilos of pornography. <laughs> and I would bring it back to America and I'll sell it to my friends. And um, I'll take, you know, something that was 100 yen, 130 yen, 300 yeah. yen. And I'll flip it for $100. Pop. Um, what? Yeah, this is, um, it was really nice because there was this, uh, the, there was a lot of cash in the economy because bar mitzvahs started happening. <laughs> right? So suddenly my friends had like lots more cash. Yeah. Which wasn't there before. So, and then we also had no conception of cash. Yeah. So I was like, I don't know, $100. I'll do anything for it kind of thing. Yeah. And that means pure profit too. But I realized that images are so powerful, <laughs> like so powerful. And that was sort of, I think that's probably one of my earliest sort of art moments. I do you do think, think it's art. Jessica Rabbit came from like a manga or the other way around? I don't like know Jessica, Jessica Rabbit... Rabbit's visual history is. I would think it's in the Betty Boop. Oh, yeah. Betty Boop Betty range. Boop lineage. Yeah. Instead lineage of, uh, of Betty Boop. Japanese. Yeah. Cartoon? Yeah, I don't think so. What if there is like a Jessica Rabbit of Japan that they just literally stole it from? Uh, there's you know? tons of Jessica Rabbits of Japan. There is right? no shortage of uh, sexy characters in Japan. That's for sure. funny for you to say all this illustration talk when your work is anything but illustration. Yeah, but the perversion stuff is there. Oh, the stockings. And, so yeah, I was going to say because when you say sequins, I remember your work or I remember like the sheerness of the yeah. fabrics and stuff like that of the paintings. Yeah. It that has, is all part of it, no? Yeah. I would like you to do a work with sequins, sequins now. Yeah, I've been doing works with um this cool? spectra flare painting which is this sort of a uh, color shifting paint they use for cars in miami you know oh, the the um, very tacky you, you did tell me that you were using spray no yeah spectra i uh, put it into a spray uh but it's basically expensive glitter and it's been giving me a lot of joy oh do you use the gun uh i use a airbrush yeah an airbrush um you just got it or what it's four or five months ago oh what's but, the brand 
uh, Master Airbrush. Master Airbrush. Um, Sponsor me. Yeah, you right. Listen. Well, you want to you want to be sponsored by Iwata probably. Iwata. Iwata. All right. I-W-A-T-A. Whoever's listening. Yeah. Hit me up. I'll 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 sell some. Yeah. Airbrushes. Um. Back to uh pornography. No, J.K. Um, yeah, yeah. Your, I wanted... your your inner artist coming out. Oh yeah. Pornography. Totally. I've been um much more open to to that idea. Yeah. And there's I realized a lot of artworks that I've made before were some sort of sublimation of rebelliousness or rebelliousness or or libido in some form or another part of your software yeah totally um or hardware both yeah um it's but like the apple no? like design and yeah, function <laughs> the uh you know i think it's been really fun last few years actually to become more comfortable with and more open about my interests yeah so with your work or just with in work life? and just in life yeah, like nice. um i gave a lecture a few weeks ago oh yeah how did that go yeah it was great um but what was it about i just talked about the things i like that's nice so i i was just trying to you know it's always quite cringe to talk about yourself or your art is and it? into uh, like a room full of people this is a bigger room full of people yeah a pretty big room full of people that you don't know but imagine them naked right but um isn't that a thing what I realized making this presentation was um, I went through all, I went to like a really wordy one. I was thinking about really high minded things, but then I just decided to be like really honest about what I'm interested in. Yeah. And so I just showed them a bunch of pictures of things that I like, like fish scales, <laughs> um, like a, like a, like a oil slick in a, in a little, little lake. So you basically were showing your Tumblr. Yeah, it was it. That's it. Pinterest mood board Tumblr. And you know, I would, call it an art talk. I barely that's talked exactly about it. That's exactly what an art talk is. The yeah. Tumblr, no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Ex- Tumblr. You're explaining your Tumblr. Yeah. Your mental Tumblr. But um, well, the realization pr- putting this together yeah. is that I can't really talk about stuff without pictures there, mm. which is one of the hesitations of doing this podcast to start off. No, with. they can see it all. Yeah, they can see. But the idea that I realized also that I had this idea of what a lecture should be. Yeah. I don't know, sounding smart, uh, being, uh, you know, well-researched. TED Talk? Yeah, being, uh, all, I had all these ideas of what it should, how it should go. Yeah. And then it, it only worked, though, ultimately, when I just talked about the things I liked. Yeah, that's the whole point. Sometimes when I talk about this um, podcast, I'm like, oh... What am I even going to talk about? And then I just remembering that I can edit anything. I could just literally say anything yeah. and I can edit it out. That's so uh, gives me the propulsion to do the, the talk, knowing that I can do that. So I usually never yeah. delete anything because I'm just I know that that could happen. I'm sure in your case, that was the way too. yeah. And it's, you know. And it's honest, like it's... If you just say whatever you're interested, you can't be wrong because you're no, literally saying exactly. what you're interested in. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's honestly, it's just therapy, but it's it's like, um, you know, I realize I'm kind of a fetishist. Oh, really? Um, like BDSM? No, not like that kind of fetish. Or like small things? Small things are very particular. You. Yeah. Yeah, certain things are interesting or arousing, and, and to be honest about that was interesting for me. I think that's what art is in a way. Yeah, totally. You show us your fetish and then some people share it and they're like, I love that work. I love that fetish. Yeah. Right? Totally. I think that really is ultimately what, what people happens. are doing. Um, you know, I think that's 
but it's also easier to talk about yourself if you're honest about what you're talking about and you know why you're talking about it. But it was also people, people find it refreshing when someone just goes, I really like this picture, you know, honesty, honesty. in the work, you know, yeah. and I, I feel you are very honest, man. Yeah. Thank you, bud. But you also forget these things when you're make, after you make it and a few years pass and you start talking about it, you don't even remember anything about it. <laughs> What you were making or thinking, you were kind of just like, oh yeah, it was, it was really cold in the studio. Yeah, yeah. Really dusty, so I did this. You know, it's like, um, it's a strange, it's a strange way to keep a journal making work and showing When work. did you start making work? <sighs> were you uh, like a high school, like these are my paintings kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. By the time I was in high school, it was very much part of my identity. Yeah? Yeah. Like Kentaro the what? Yeah, the artist guy. The artist guy? Yeah. Were you a freak or a geek? Um, I went to a very small, very protected, secure private school. Yeah. Which had a lot of resources for art making. Yeah. That's nice. And yeah, it was incredible. Mine oh. was the opposite. Even though it was a private, like, religious school, yeah. it was discouraged to do art. That's so crazy. Because you went to Catholic school, right? Yeah. The Like, the one thing the Catholics did was make religion sexy and visual yeah you it's know like, honestly that's what that's what catholicism is it's like oh yeah right judaism you ban portraiture yeah Guess yeah what we got mad portraiture up in here We're it's me to... in every form with a hat <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, they literally just disrupted whatever mesopotamian right? religion that was happening that's all they were they were just and like, what Egypt. if i told you that jesus here is mega dead but there's also ripped jesus over here that's also dead there's also this other jesus here that has been penetrated by his friends with and his fingers his mom also is a lot of people <laughs> no? yeah if anything yeah catholic schools should understand the power of art if anything i know but it, it's so weird how it maybe just even the society that i grew up in that it was anti-art in a way it was all money but no mm -hmm. art which is kind of weird and how usually they follow each other but it was a very i don't know i guess it's the same as texas it's like why there's so much art but most people are not artistic or even encouraged to be artistic yeah it's only a very small concentrated thing in houston or austin stuff like that like the art world but it's huge it's like the size of france and only art happens in like a little part no i feel that that's what happened to me that i was always around like discouraging towards making work so when i got to new york it was like an explosion i was like oh my god this is what i've been waiting for this is i knew this was possible mm -hmm. but for a reason i thought it was only paris and london or something like i thought imagine it was like a foreign thing like that can happen in america yeah to be an artist and get paid money like what yeah and then i was like oh my god it's real you yeah know? You always knew that. Yeah, it was always real. For um, you. Because, yeah. yeah, you were in D.C. Yeah, it was always real. It was always like a value. My art, favorite. Art is important is like a big thing. My favorite museum in the world is in D.C. Oh, yeah, which one? The National Gallery. Mm. Because it has, to me, the Degas dancer. Mm. The, the original one. The wax one. Yeah, you was right. like yeah, attacked yeah, yeah. a few days ago. Did you see? Oh, someone attacked it. Someone attacked it with pain. I hope Is she's okay. Is that because Degas was into diddling kids or something? What was the message? No, the it? message was climate change. It's the same thing. Why does what it's does like, Degas have to do with climate? That's change? The, it's not about Degas. It's about like symbols, the patriarchy, I guess. Patriarchy, hmm. but 
I mean, who's wrong? We don't know. We're not the judge. Yo. But the whole point is that she was attacked, and I hope she's okay. Yo, interesting. But, um, yeah. I mean, wax, it probably comes off if it was I think, an acrylic paint. I don't think it was uncovered. So I think they just attacked it from outside. Yeah, I'm trying I to remember. It's on, it's on the ground floor. And, yeah. Um, I think it is covered by plastic. It is crazy. They have like Raphael's with Da Vinci's and yeah. Degas and Warhol's totally. and anything you want. That was a big thing. Museums being free, like having to pay for museums was such a crazy revelation when I left Washington. Well, I, I read the story about everything and it was about mostly like after World War II, where like Europe was in shambles. Basically, Americans were like, oh, my God, I'm going to get everything. And they took it to D.C. So that rocks that. And also the English did it first and all our people did it before like rome and what so it's yeah, kind of like that's a cool pillaging by by luck we got to see all those things so anybody in dc go to the national gallery and so they should fun. sponsor me too so yeah that's so fun this so stuff in, is all stolen so it's all free to us Let's go everything in the museum is stolen even in the whitney like everything's stolen. i love that that makes um, me so happy but yeah museums being free museums just being a place to go and chill right? out that that's was true. always a thing it was like a big venue um and you were in DC. Did you go to the museums and you were like, I'm oh, yeah, be like them? Um, less so. One of my earlier, and I'm not af- afraid to say this, uh, earlier aesthetic experiences was with a big ass Anselm Kiefer thing. Yeah. It's gigantic, I guess, painting wall work. Oh, shit. He's so big. It was like movie screen size. That was pretty. Um, impactful i'm going to museums is always a thing for sure the one of the other important milestones was like a ad reinhardt black painting at the met when i was probably around like 14 13 somewhere around there and i realized it wasn't just a black painting and i was like whoa that's wild i was talking to somebody about ad reinhardt and how he would put oil paint in a little jar and then he would put like turpentine and mineral spirits and shake, 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 shake the pain. And then he would pipe it out all the oil out of the... Oh, wow. So he just got the pure pigment and a little bit of oil. Enough to make it like a... So that's why his paintings are so dry looking. That's so cool. Because there's, no there's not a lot of oil in it. And if you touch it with your finger, you would leave a mark. Because the oil of your finger would like... Wow. They're so amazing. I, I really also... It's one of my favorite paintings. Yeah. So I'm mean, so not right heard and you were like damn i was like damn this is cool that's not even black yeah that ain't even black that's important moment for me for sure yeah i think um and i can see it in your work a lot of ad reinhardt actually yeah now that you think now that you say it so i I'm relate to him talking. in terms of his personality too yeah he was this guy who was making like severe looking paintings and then also he was moonlighting as a illustrator for communist comics and things like that <laughs> you know like i and then, you know, the other fun thing I've been doing in the last your memes? five or six years is the meme world. Yeah, you're you're a meme, a meme machine. Yeah, it's like a strange thing I've unlocked in my mind in my 30s. It's like a painting almost each, huh? Yeah, the work is like, I mean, memes are fun because it satisfies immediate needs and wants and desires and urgency and it, it's fast it happens it goes viral or not it's just very quick uh, memes are also fun and i think this is another art thing is a long time ago an artist told me that um when you're young especially there's power in numbers yeah and that doing things on mass as a group is important for any artist well, that's how I feel even about your work or anybody's work that if you make like 20 paintings, two of them are hits. Yeah. 
and the other ones are like, I see what you're doing. I love it. Yeah. Same with your memes. Like if you drop 10, I'm like, that one is a home run. For sure. And if you were just making one a month, then again, one a year would be a home run. Totally. And I'm also, I have a few meme pages, some of them more powerful than others. <laughs> But those are run by admins, by, you know, five to 12 people, depending on which one. And that's a lot of fun, too, because... Is it just what makes you... Sorry, what? If you're in a group of people and you talk about some things that make you happy or piss you off or some perversions and it's like a, it's like a, you know, it's like a, it's like a therapy group or AA or something. Yeah. And then everybody makes their images and there's, there is power in numbers. Cause I don't think it's a, uh, I don't think it's a coincidence that the groups with larger numbers of admins are the bigger ones, you know, more followers. I think that's, that's, that's true. And I think that's true for any artist, especially when you're young. Cause when you're young, you're more likely to work with other people well now we're coming back to where when we met yeah you remember uh five or six years ago at the studio in the industry city yeah the bruce high quality studio yeah yeah you were just talking about the memes but it sounded like you were talking about the bruce high quality foundation yeah i mean that that was a fun experience can you too. explain what it is i don't really know what it is i just uh, know about it i knew a lot of people around it but for anybody like yeah for blinky oh yeah well who knows say? maybe there'd be a retrospective time right yeah blinky is older but what it was, is it what, was a collective what? of people that were making art as one name which was bruce high quality and it wasn't like you know Josh of Bruce. It was when you made work, it was Bruce High Quality's artwork. And the, there are few ideas. One of the stories is that uh, Bruce High Quality died in 9-11 <laughs> and that... Uh, and that the people who are involved in the Bruce High Quality Foundation are simply executors of his estate. Estate. Um, yeah, I remember they had that space on East Village. Yeah, the Bruce High Quality Foundation University. Yeah. Right. That was cool. That was, you know, back to like people making tons of money early on. In yeah, their lives. yeah. That was a really cool way to spend money that you made. I remember I used to work for this artist and I used to work with this other artist that is going to be in the show soon, Esteban Jefferson. He and I were working in the Navy Yard with our painters. And then somehow we would we ended up at that Bruce High Quality building mm -hmm. after work. And we met up with our friend Lorenzo Bueno, a friend of the show, Lorenzo. And he was cooking chili at this place. Yeah. And there were a bunch of artists there and we were all having Lorenzo's chili. That sounds great. And I was like, what's going on here? Who are these people? Yeah. Where is like, oh, it's all Bruce and whatever. And I was yeah. like, is this a real person? Like. And then I, oh, okay, when I understood. But at the beginning, I was so confused. Yeah. Because it's like, why are you cooking here in this person's apartment that is not an apartment in the university? <laughs> Some people are actually teaching and learning, yeah. but there's an artist collected that makes works that are going to be auctioned tomorrow for 200K. And you're like, yeah. what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, that's, that's a pretty good summation of what that event was. And the funny thing about Bruce, too, is like it was a very critical group of people. Yeah. It was kind of art world in jokes happening in a lot of the work. But like you said, strength in numbers in a way. That's how it felt. For yeah? sure. That was definitely a very strong strength in numbers thing. I it also was... remember I curated a show in 2015 uh -huh. called The Frivolous Now. And one of the participants was Joe Kay. The great that Joe Kay. Also, friend of the show, Joe, he was part of the Bruce White quality? Oh, yeah. 
for sure. Right? A very important part of the Bruce Equality thing. And um, he was uh, the one that was pretty much in charge of the school part, the yeah. Bruce Equality Foundation University. And um, no, yeah. it's funny that I met him before you. Yeah, yeah. Everybody knows Joe, though. Yeah, everybody knows Joe. And then I went with a friend of the show, Daryl Wesley, to his studio that was in the Bruce High Quality. And your studio was also in the same uh -huh. building. Yeah. In the same room, basically. Totally. That's where we met. I remember you were wearing a hazmat suit. Yeah. Do you remember? I, I like I don't like um I don't like having dirty stuff on me. Yeah, you're a hazmat suit guy. I'm a hazmat suit guy. Yeah, when he paints, when he's in the studio, he's wearing a hazmat suit. So it's, if you walk in, you're kind of like, wait, what happened? Did yeah. a possum die and you have yeah. to take it out? Or It makes me very like, um, being sticky and wet makes me very sad. You know? Well, there's water? What do you mean sticky? Just paint. Or the paint. Oh, so you need like a, you're Sprays. very, very uh, hygienic. Yeah, I think, um, I don't know. It just, I just don't. I like... just change clothes. I have like a. A studio clothes and then outside clothes. That makes a lot of sense, too. But also a hazmat suit over your outdoor clothes? Does that yeah. how it works? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not a studio set of clothes. So you just work? Like when you take off your hazmat suit, you're just a normal person. Yeah. And then the hazmat means business. It like just makes me more brave. Demon time. Yeah, it makes me more brave. It makes me less scared of stuff. Or splashing. Splashing. Yeah, yeah. It makes me freer. And also you work with really industrial paints, no? Yeah, yeah. The paints are very poisonous-y and I remember this, gross stuff. This uh, We didn't even have time, but maybe we'll do it in the second one. We didn't even talk about San Francisco, but when I went to your studio in San Francisco a few years ago, you were painting with this aluminum paint, remember? Oh, yeah, yeah. The, that was uh, really fun. The paint that was made for uh, street signs. Yeah, yeah. That, that was, was gross stuff, for sure. And you were putting it behind your, like a painting on aluminum. Yeah. And then you would wrap around some fabric yeah yeah right it was yeah exactly the painting got covered up by two sheets of uh stocking fabric that, those are really nice works man thanks man i appreciate that yeah those were you know they're, they're kind of fetishes that are put together yeah, yeah that's really what it is yeah tell us about maybe to everybody that is listening because i remember you told me about this picture of this woman who got radiation from Ooh. the atomic bomb and that's where you were inspired by yeah um That's a photo that's very uh, important to me because it's a What woman's... What is it about? Well, it's a photograph of a woman and she's looking away from the camera. And it's sort of this, uh, it was a uh, Army Corps of Engineers survey of the damage of the bombings in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So, so it's an around. American photo, photo? It's a photograph by American engineers oh, and shit. doctors. And, um, you know, she's taken, she has these wounds on her back because of uh, the... Um, the power of the light and sort of the fabric that she was wearing kind of burned onto her skin yeah and left an impression on her skin almost like a i guess you would develop a photograph or or a negative of any sort or like a horrible sunburn or a terrible terrible sunburn yeah and anywho the photograph was taken with this person in the very like anatomical autopsy cold yeah. inhumane no face all sorts of strange um kind of psychology going on in the picture itself But, you know, they were there to survey the damage, like not to make Geo. a documentation of humanity. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, so that photo, the coldness of that photo was very uh, important to me. And the um, the fetishiness of it. This yeah. woman's clothes is like half taken off. Um, the lace. There's like lace. lace huh? Yeah. Just sort of this like uh, texture of the fabrics. And the, that image stuck out to me very much. 
And so that's why I kind of started putting fabrics over the paintings. So when light goes through the fabric, it reflects off the aluminum metallic paintings in the back and comes shoots back out to the viewer um, in much in the similar way that the uh, impressions of the fabric was on her body. But instead of radiation coming out, it just was absorbed by her, um, yeah. by your paintings yeah, yeah. to take it back to you. Um, yeah. Which yeah. is kind of like a mirror to society in a way. Yeah, I wouldn't say that far. No? I think it's just that image was important to me because of the coldness of it. Mm. And I was very interested in the, in the many ways the effects of paint and fabric and things shooting in and out of the painting, yeah. reflecting out. So it was very much, I wanted to walk in with a little bit of a physics scientist. So it was eye. more about the materials than the viewer. Or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And mm. then that person was reduced to material. Yeah. Oh, I see. And I wanted to take that same approach with my work. Yeah, I made that series for a long time. I still make it sometimes. What are you working on now? Um, currently, I'm making a painting of like a very muscular person wearing a uh, Marianne Williamson president for shirt. You know, the T-shirt, Marianne Williamson for president. I don't. Yeah, Marianne Williamson was this uh, person who ran for 2020. She ran for president. We're going to put it in the show notes. Yeah, and um, I'm making a painting of this very muscular man wearing it. But on what? This, the painting is on um, solar film, which oh, is like what? the film you use to like cover hot cars. Like this yeah. car is getting very hot right now because it, it reflects the sun back. Yeah. But anywho, the kicker is that the person wearing the t-shirt, the Marianne Williamson shirt, you can see his penis hanging out because he's kind of Winnie pooing <laughs> with Marianne Williamson's shirt. A very muscular figure. With a Marianne Williamson shirt, but his, you know, penis is sort of just hanging at the bottom of the painting. Is it stretched on, on like a stretcher? No, it's just sort of um, rolled onto foam. Mm. Yeah. It's and it's just the picture of that guy. Yeah, yeah. It's just a picture of a guy wearing a shirt that's too small for him. And no, no fabric over the painting. Uh, I haven't really thought about that part yet. Not yet? I don't think so. I like well, it. I can't I, wait to see it now. Yeah, I think the painting, the the... Next time we'll be in your studio, the number two, no? I love that, yeah. Before your big show. Yeah. The pe the penis hanging out part is important to me because there's sort of this like, there's a fetish aspect to that too. Winnie the Pooing and the Marianne Williamson shirt. Dicking. Shirt, shirt dicking. Is that what you call it? Yeah, shirt dicking. Everybody calls it something different. That's kind of funny part too. It comes, yeah, some people call it the, porky pigging. Porky pigging. Porky Winnie pigging. The pooing, Winnie the Pooing. Shirt dicking. Yeah. Yeah, I guess... um. I'm not, I'm not really sure. I just thought the image was really funny and very telling. Yeah. And that I got very attracted. Again, I get very fixated on things like that image of the person uh, that was radiated in 19. Yeah, I feel that every artist is like that, a kind of obsessive over images. Yeah. And only the good ones are the ones who admit that that's a little sexual thing going on. Yeah, it's weird. You know, like, if you're like, why are you obsessed with that image? It's like, I don't know, just like it. Like, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. It's like, no, you are. You have kind of like a fetish in a way. Like, every... Yeah. Yeah, images or any painting that you make. There is a way to say that artists get fixated on things or shapes or people or animals yeah. in a way that is sexual, no? Yeah, I mean, that fetish for sure. Yeah. Um, I don't know what sexual means, but definitely Well, not fetish. sexual, what the sexual 
word means, but there is a, an element of yeah fixation that is fetish or attraction or yeah another synonym that I don't have right now, but something like yeah that kind of. But it moves you in more ways than just mental. Yeah, totally. Or it is mental, but it's also physical, I guess. Yeah, and I think the I don't know the staying away from sexual stuff that happens, especially in American society, is kind of weird. Pure, pure, and pure. Yeah. Or mm-hmm. Catholicism, I don't know what it is. But Christianity, yeah, we don't know. It's so weird that you know that's a consideration. Well, I guess you're. you're I think japanese people if i may say this are more like the french with that kind of thing yeah about images or how french people say like oh you're only pretty if you have something disgusting about you or something like that. do you know that no yeah like you're beautiful only if you have something disgusting that i feel yeah. in a way japanese culture is like that there's a lot of fetish in japanese culture there's a sure. little bit of ew yeah. but it's so attractive well i mean like i saw you pulling out your um apple laptop yeah. from your apple box yeah that box is made in japan dude you know yeah that that the the rigidity of that box the, it way, is it, a little the way it sucks the air out you know <laughs> like this sort of it's a very very sexy object mm. and and apple insists on this yeah and have it disintermediated whatever japanese factories that's even the touch stuff. no the the yeah, box. it's there. It's there. Yeah, and you kept that box, right? You didn't throw I it out. The box. You love the box. The you carry your laptop around in the box, and yeah. I think that's there's a lot of fetish that goes into that, and engineering too. Um, Cars and, too, no everything. Yeah, yeah, everything's got something like that. But I think it's is it, it's just important to be honest about these things. Yeah. Um, I didn't even get to talk about your art school experience or how you got to New York, but how, how would you say, like, real quick, how you got to New York from being an artistic kid in D.C. that was the painter in high school or the artist? Well, I went to college in Toronto, Canada, a great yeah. art school called OCA, which Shout became OCAD, the six. which became OCADU. I think that's where it's at now. Yeah. Uh, it's a public art school in uh, Toronto. And uh, the great artists, too. A lot of us. Next time we're going to talk about be that. There. Because I want to know Toronto. I have no idea. Yeah. But, and then from there, you moved to New York? No, and I went to school in England for graduate school. Oh, I forgot yeah. about that. Which, what did you get? An MFA? It's an MA. An MA. MA. Yeah. Um, that was a great experience. I but... also have an MA. But in philosophy. Oh, no what way. Yours? Yeah, mine was in... Wow, so you found something more useless than art. What? Um, yeah, literally. What? Or actually more useful to art than art school, but... Yeah, probably. What, so. what was your master's in? Uh, it was... Uh, the department was called Fine Art Media, which was mm. sort of like where they pushed everything that wasn't sculpture or painting. That also fits a lot with what you make now. Yeah. Right? Yeah, totally. I'm not trained in painting whatsoever. Yeah, we'll talk about London... Next yeah. time and Toronto. Totally. Then I went to New York because I got a job in New York City. and uh, After was, London. After London. No. And you just showed up in New York? Yeah, I just showed up in New York. Like, I, hi, I, I'm here. I need a job. Or you had a job before? Uh, nope. I was. I just showed up in New York. I applied for the job at home in D.C. Was this with Murakami? This was my Murakami job, yeah. Oh, and we'll then talk he, about Murakami next time And as then well. he gave me the job and I showed up here. A friend of mine was out of town for a long period of time, so I didn't have to pay rent for like six months, which was dope. And I started my career um, with Murakami there. That's amazing. Yeah, next time we're going to talk about it. I just wanted to ask you one last thing. Mm-hmm. What matters to you, to Kentaro? Um, I think my time. I think I loved it that 
we woke up at six in the morning, played nine holes and are sitting at a pier doing a podcast. That was really nice, man. People can't do that usually. People have to go to work or whatever. This is our job. Yeah, it's nice that... We're working for you guys out here. Yeah, we do... We can do whatever we want, whenever we want. I think that's more important to me than anything. Mobility. See, now we came full circle to mobility. Yeah. Right? Yeah, we did. We did, man. Well, we love you, Blinky. Love you. And I love you, Kentaro. Love you too, bud. All right. We'll talk to you soon.